On May 14th, I'll be hosting a free support event in honor of Mother's Day. In partnership with Prove and with doulas on my team, we are hosting this space and it's going to be similar to the spaces that we hold for our support groups, but most importantly, it's a safe space for bereaved mothers to come and seek support, validation, and community. You can register and learn more about this event. Again, it's free by clicking the link in today's episode notes. We also have new support groups starting in May from first time loss, recurrent loss, secondary loss, infant loss, and more. View these groups by visiting themiscarriagedoula.co or by clicking the link in the show description. Some of our groups are available to register for while others have wait lists. You can check out all the information for these groups and our free event at themiscarriagedoula.co. Now let's get into this episode. You're listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. Thank you so much for being here and for being willing to share your story. Um, I know we started talking before I hit record about how your journey is as with recurrent pregnancy loss, you have living children, you've learned kind of what the reason for recurrent pregnancy loss is and kind of navigating that now. So I do want to start at the beginning. Um, I would love to hear about the decision to try and conceive and to grow your family. I know for me, that was a pivotal moment in my journey of being like, okay, let's actually try to do this. Um, so I would like to start there if you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah. So strangely enough, I never wanted to be a mom when I was little, I was like, ah, kids are annoying. I don't think I want any type thing. Um, when I was little, but then my aunt had two preemies. They were twins. Uh, they are twins. And, um, she needed help and I slowly just fell in love with them and just the love that they would show me every time I'd come over, I was just overwhelming. It just felt so amazing to be loved by them. And I thought, wow, if I have this much love for them, I can't imagine what it'd be like to have my own children. So like, that was a pivotal point for, point for me to want to become a mom. And I think as I got older, I always thought, you know, I feel like this is something I've always wanted. I feel like there's going to be a problem. Mm. And for some reason, I always thought like fertility issues, like yada, 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 like, I don't know why this is going to be hard, but it was the opposite. So right after my husband and I got married um, in 2015, we waited a year and then we started trying in May of that year of 2016. And we found out that we were actually pregnant on Father's Day. And like, you would think like, oh my gosh, like nothing bad could possibly happen at that moment. And then I remember going to a spinning class and I was just a few weeks along and then I started bleeding and I was like, that's really weird. But I knew that spotting was like, it happened and it wouldn't stop though, like the next day. So I went into the doctor and he's like, you're having a miscarriage. and I. For some reason, I just didn't think in my head that trying to get pregnant would lead to not having a baby at one point. Like that just didn't cross my mind. And so for me, it was just like an extra double wham against my head. And it was like, what? And by the way, I work in healthcare. 
I'm a speech language pathologist. And at that point in time, I was working an hour and a half away from my home. And it was this little bitty nursing home. And I was like in the middle of nowhere. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I got to, I got to call my boss and tell her I can't come in. I'm having a miscarriage. Well, I did. And she said, yeah, of course, take the day off, but you're coming in on the weekend. Right. And I was like, well, well, no, like I'm, I'm having my miscarriage right now. Like I I'm bleeding and I'm, you know, I'm at this point, I'm crying on the phone. And by the way, at this point, I was 25 years old. I didn't know at all about employee rights, any of that. I just didn't know that. And I mean, looking back on it, I really try to advocate and tell people about this because, you know, you think that everybody knows these things, but I mean, everyone's different ages when they start trying to have families. And a lot of people don't know, like when they can take FMLA. And I didn't know what FMLA was at that time. So I grinned and bear it. I drove and I went to work and it was a horrible day. And I'll never forget that day. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was, it was rough. And, you know, there was even one patient that I saw was for the very first time. And she told me some horror stories related to things of that nature. And, you know, cause it was pretty apparent that something horrible had, it was going on with me. I mean, I couldn't help but cry and, you know, she wanted to know what was wrong. And then she told me about her stuff and I was like, okay, that did not help at all. So, <laughs> you know, it just, it was really hard. Um, and I think what was even harder was the fact of having to, it, at that point, that's when I became a part of this tribe of women that I didn't realize you don't want to talk about it because if you do talk about it, then people know. And if people know, then that possibly means you're a failure, possibly means, you know, you're trying. So it puts you in that tribe also. And then if they know that, then they can ask all these questions. Well, when are you going to try again? Or, you know, it was probably God's plan or, you know, something like that, you know, and hearing all of that, I mean, not helpful. So horribly not helpful. It just feels like, I think I was talking to, I think I was talking to someone, I was talking to one of my patients yesterday and I was like, I think everybody needs to go through like a life skills class. And then like a sub part of that life skills class is dealing with other people's pain. And like, I feel like that's so hard because that experience afterwards, it just felt like, okay, so I'm silenced. I can't tell anybody any of this because if I do, they know we're trying. And then, I mean, we were lucky enough that we were able to get pregnant immediately after and then we gave birth to a baby boy um, in May of 2017. And I mean, that was great, but it felt like it didn't erase any of the miscarriage. But it felt like even if I did bring it up, it was still like it's, it wasn't really okay to talk about it with other people. That's so you've touched on two things that I just made a note of because the first thing was saying how if you share the news that you've had a miscarriage, um, especially if it's before you have living children, then people know that you want to be a mom. They know that you're trying to conceive. They know that you have those desires. 
And for some reason that feels, um, it feels shameful or almost like they're thinking that maybe you'll do less work. I don't know. That's where my head was where I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to know that I'm preoccupied with wanting to be a mom and they're not going to give me X, Y, and Z, which is not legal for anybody to withhold anything because of your family building. But um, you can't help but think that you can't help but think people are going to think something about me because I want to be a mom. Um, And I don't know if you related to that, but that's what I got from what you said. In terms of the work at that point, I also was very burned out with my job. So, I mean, honestly, I was just there for the insurance at that point and the paycheck. That was pretty much at that point. It was just too far away. The drive was horrid. Oh my gosh. It was so long. Overall, what I meant by that was if I tell people, if people know that we're trying, then like family members, friends, Mm they're open to asking those questions. And the thing is, is that if they're going to ask the questions, if, if we're going to have any more, you know, when are we going to try? How many babies do we want? All this. If you want to know all that information, then you also need to understand that, Hey, we just had a miscarriage, but it feels weird bringing that up because once you're a part of this club that you don't want to be a part of, you're like, well, no one else talks about it. So I don't know if it's okay. And if, even if it is okay, like I can tell that it's not okay to bring up if I can see the uncomfortability in your face. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. It's, there's so many, um, aspects of it that are really difficult and none of it feels warm and inviting. Like it's, you're always going to be uncomfortable in some way, whether you're open about it or you're not. And it, it stinks because, um, you know, people will say, oh, well, when are you going to get pregnant again? Or are, so you guys are trying your, everything's fine. It's all in God's plan. Like going back to those comments. And then we, we don't really realize that we can set a boundary of saying, I'm not comfortable with you asking me that question. I'm not comfortable talking about this. Right. Nobody tells us that we're allowed to tell them not to ask us these personal questions. And like to even take it a step further, like when they say those comments, you know, well, maybe it was in God's plan because if you would have not had a miscarriage, then that baby would have been genetically deformed. And then they would have had a really hard life. But it's like, would you tell somebody that has a genetic malformation that's been born that would you say that absolutely yeah no it's a great it's a great point and I hear from people who have children who have any sort of diagnosis that maybe somebody would deem not the perfect diagnosis or maybe not a reason why they would want to have a child they are offended by that because they love their child they see their child uh you know and working really hard to have a normal life. And so I see that a lot too. Um, but also not all miscarriages are genetically abnormal. Exactly. And that's just, I feel like that's almost like a cop-out of like, we should be less sad because they potentially had something like wrong. Darwinism. So it's just like, it's okay. It's, it like yeah. worked itself out. Nature worked it out, but it's like, okay, but nature's not working out any of my emotions for me right now. I'm still yeah. a human being. Yeah. And on top of the fact of all of that happening, it feels like, and I totally lost my train of thought. I really did. Oh, hold the thought. Cause I have to let my dog out of the room. She's whining in the background. I don't know if you can hear her. I'm so sorry. I can't. Oh, so taking it a step further, when somebody 
is asking you those questions and having your own boundaries, but then taking it even a step further. And if somebody has a comment that they say Mm -hmm. that is widely inappropriate and that offends you, and maybe they haven't had the, they haven't gone through a miscarriage, being able to say, you know what, I can tell that you're trying hard to help me, but right now that's not helping me. And this would be more helpful. You saying like, I can see that you're having a really hard time right now. And if you need somebody to sit next to you, I'm here to be with you in your sadness, instead of just trying to come up with, I don't know, some type of hallmark saying. Trying to fix it. You know, that's, I think people think that whenever we share our problems with them, that they have to fix it. But sometimes like sitting in silence and just being present is really helpful. Um, I like to say that like listening goes a long way, like saying nothing and just listening is right. really helpful. Sometimes. Being able to be courageous enough to sit in my pain with me is huge because it's like, because I, I know that it seems like the reason why people bring up these comments is because I know they're trying to squelch my own uncomfortability and then I'm making them uncomfortable Yeah, and nobody wants to feel pain and yeah. they're feeling some form of my pain and they just want it to stop. And don't get me wrong. I wish I had a button and I could do that too, but yeah. So you can't just walk away from a conversation and no longer feel that pain. You know, you don't have the privilege of not being able to, to feel that. Um, and I don't think that people think about that. Um, and, and the other thing that uh, you had said that I wrote down, um, is then you kind of fast forward a little bit to, you got pregnant again, quickly after your miscarriage and you had your first living son and that having him did not erase the grief that you felt. And that is literally how I created the space because I thought that whenever I had my first son, that everything would just be healed and better. And then I was like, what is this feeling? I'm still am grieving. I have so much trauma. I need to heal. And I realized that we're kind of forever in this miscarriage journey. It's just navigating the changes in our journey after pregnancy loss. And it changes everything. It changes motherhood after loss, pregnancy after loss. It changes trying to conceive after loss, cycles, everything. Um, So I really relate to that, to where I know having my first living son, I was, I expected it to fix everything and it didn't, um, it didn't at all. It still hasn't because after I had my, my first living son, um, a few months after I thought I got my first period back postpartum, but it was a weird period. It was very clotty, very, it, it just wasn't normal. It wasn't the normal flow of how a period happens. Like it starts off light, gets heavier and then starts to get light again. Yeah. And I was like, why? And then I was like, and then something came out and my memory is kind of hazy in terms because of all the trauma. Um, I was recently diagnosed with PTSD. And, um, because of all the fertility trauma that I've been through and I remember it was October, 2017, we were at a pumpkin patch and I was like, I need to go to the bathroom, started bleeding a lot, a bunch of pieces of it. It looked like lining, honestly. And then I think possibly a little embryo came out, but I wasn't sure. And I know in my gut, I thought do I need to keep this? Cause I don't know if this is or isn't what I think I'm saying. Yeah. And I was more in shock than anything else. 
And as soon as we got home that day, I went, took a pregnancy test, wasn't really expecting it to be positive, but I had my suspicions about it. And then it came back positive. And then I was like, okay, I'm having another miscarriage. I had no idea that this could even possibly happen, you know, a few months after giving birth. But then, you know, I had all of these thoughts in my head that week. I remember I was transitioning from another nursing home to a new one. And I was like, I can't go to work. I can't go do my job. Well, I finally advocated for myself. I'm like, I can't do it. I just can't. So I took a week off, found um, a therapist and realized how badly I was having on top of the miscarriage, extreme postpartum anxiety and depression, like extreme. It was intense. It was um, extreme intrusive thoughts, just overall, just afraid that people would take my baby away, all of this. And then on top of that, having the miscarriage, it just felt like, how am I going to survive this right now? Like I am in survival mode. And honestly, at that point, it was pretty bad to the point where I was, I I would tell my husband, I'm like, look, I really don't care if I'm homeless right now. All I want right now is my baby or even just under a bridge, just me being able to be with him and have that closeness. That's all I wanted at that point. Yeah. It feels like you just want to protect him. And, you know, a level of that is probably was going to be experienced with being in the postpartum period that you were, but then having a miscarriage on top of that, you went from having pregnancy hormones to giving birth and having a big plummet to, you know, going through lactating, whether you continued lactating or not, and then to have pregnancy hormones go back up to go back down. Yeah. That's a recipe for disaster. Um, so and I, I imagine that part of it is like, well, my body wasn't safe for this pregnancy. And so I want to, I want to keep the baby that I have in front of me safe and I will do anything at all costs because you see that you have now two losses and that kind of feels unsafe. And so I feel it like does. it all feeds into that thought process. Um, it does. So hard. So I was, I, that's when I started my antidepressants and my anxiety medication. I hadn't been on my antidepressants for a while. And that was the first time I was able to get put on some anxiety medication that I really didn't know existed. And, um, it would help with my severe panic attacks. I mean, severe, like to the point where it's like, I felt very unsafe going to work, very unsafe, pretty much anywhere, except being at home, sitting on my couch in my husband's arms or holding our baby. That was it. Um, so then fast forward to 29, no, no, 2018, December, doing much better overall, being able to handle things a bit more. Um, well, I hadn't gotten my period, but I didn't think anything of it. Um, at the time I was actually (laughs) getting laser hair removal. And they were doing laser hair removal removal on like my lower stomach. And I was like, my stomach feels weird. Like how it feels like when I'm pregnant. That's weird. But I didn't think anything of it. And then I started having difficulty um, staying awake. And I guess after taking a pregnancy test, realized I was pregnant with our second son. Didn't realize that all that 
honestly, I felt like he was kind of like an immaculate conception. I'm like, I don't even remember doing anything. <laughs> or maybe it was like one time. <laughs> and I was like, and it was just, it was really, it was just really surprising. He just really wanted to be born. That's what we just say. And yeah. he was born August, 2019. And, you know, that was, that was good. I mean, he was the surprise baby, but he's been very loved ever since. And then following that, it took us a few years to want to try again. Um, but we always wanted a big family. So in 2021, 20, we had been trying and we really wanted a girl. So we were using some weird method involving the moon. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what ended up happening was it took us a while just because we were using like specific days of the month, but eventually I got pregnant and it was great. Um, and we were so excited. And because of my history with PCOS and having low progesterone, called my OB, all of that, said, hey, you know, I'm pregnant. She's like, okay, we'll wait to come in, you know, for your first ultrasound in like, I don't know, 12 weeks or I don't know. I can't even remember what it is, but it's like wow. ridiculous that they wait that long. So ridiculous. And I'm like, well, I have a history of miscarriages and all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. Um, can, can we please figure out if like how these numbers are, like if I need to be put on anything and it's like me doing all this stuff. I'm like my doctor type thing. And it's like, anyways, I got my blood test. The numbers were low. She's like, we're going to check them again. We check them again. They're lower. They're getting lower. And it comes to that point for me where I'm like, she's like, I just don't think it's viable. And I'm like, well, okay. At this point, it's like, okay, so I'm going to have to be my own doctor. I'm going to have to be figuring out how, like what's going on with my body. Like this is my third miscarriage. And for some reason it's like, maybe because I have two children, this is considered okay, but it's so bizarre. Uh, and it, it is kind of, it's so messed up in the healthcare system. Um, and I'm talking mainly about the U S cause I mean, it's the other healthcare systems are really messed up too. Um, but the definition of recurrent pregnancy loss would be consecutive miscarriages. And I think that that isn't helpful because, you know, why wouldn't we just try to prevent any and all miscarriages if we could just offer testing before anybody has a miscarriage or at the very least after one miscarriage, you know, taking right. people more seriously. Um, it's, it's kind of baffling to me, but I could, that could be a whole podcast episode of me just ranting about the healthcare system. Right. And so what ended up happening was I was really, I mean, it led to a whole slew of things, but essentially I ended up going to a mental health hospital for a week essentially it was, it was a much needed break, but at the same time, I think it just made me reevaluate in terms of what I wanted and what I needed from my healthcare providers. One, my therapist, my psychiatrist, um, and also, I mean, and then my OBGYN. So eventually what happened was after all of that, um, 
I got a new therapist and then I was put on some different medication that really helped. And essentially what we determined was the medication that I was on just wasn't doing what it needed to do to help me before the miscarriage even happened. Um, but it still left this whole question mark as to why I've had three miscarriages. And so after we waited a few months in 2022, in February, we decided to start trying again, but we couldn't get pregnant. Now that's never been a problem for me. It's always been staying pregnant because so far, literally I'm taking the count as like three, two, it's literally like a game score. Like that's how I feel it in my body. And that's how I see it, which is so sad by the way, too. It's so sad. And, you know, looking at the pattern, did you feel like after your second living child, like, okay, well I have to get pregnant again, that way we can have this miscarriage and get that one over with because it had been miscarriage, living child, miscarriage, living child. I imagine that that's an added stressor and that, that sucks to go into a pregnancy thinking, well, this is going to end in miscarriage. Exactly. That's exactly what it, yeah. And I didn't think that this one would at all end in miscarriage. And a good point to bring up is I remember when we got pregnant that time, our fifth time. And I was thinking, I remember talking to Cam, my husband, and I was like, we should just tell everyone. We shouldn't do what we've done in the past and wait. We should just tell everyone because if we tell everyone, if something bad happens, they'll be there for us. That was was the nice thought, wasn't it? You're thinking the same thing. You're like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. The perfect world. The perfect world, right? So that was probably one of the worst things I've ever done or thought of personally. Because I don't want to say anybody, but hardly anybody ever reached out about it, ever. Following it was, and I think to this day, it has made me so on guard of other people because it's like, you're there for us when we have this joyous, joyous news, but when we're going through something so tremendously sorrowful and carrying all of this grief, you don't reach out. I feel invisible right now. Like that baby didn't exist. I hear that. And I feel like no matter anybody's story listening to this, they can relate to that feeling. Um, because it seems like the world, people around us, everybody celebrates really good news, but whenever there's bad news, people are so uncomfortable that they say nothing and not in the way that we're talking about earlier, where it's like, sit with us in the grief and just listen. They are non-existent. They are invisible and then treating us as if we are also invisible, like we're in two different dimensions. It's just, um, I I don't know what that is. It's, it's insane. And, you know, we live in a world of social media where, uh, like influencers will talk about how their engagement is so high when they're pregnant. And so they capitalize on that and they get a bunch of brand deals and stuff. And it's because people love happy things, happy news. And to the world, they view a baby as happy, but to some of the other people in this world, they view it as fear and they need support. And they're looking for people to be there, not just to be like, oh, I'm going to love on this baby, but I'm not going to support you in any way. Um, but it also, it's, it's lonely 
to give birth to a living child sometimes too, because people will love on that child, but then forget the mom. Um, and so it, it goes in so many different directions. I feel like where people just, they love good news. They're not there whenever things are tough. Yeah, exactly. It just feels, it feels so unfair though, for those moments, right? When yeah. you're going through that and it's like, I just want something happy. And I was actually talking to my therapist right before I um, am with you right now. And, you know, I know like at my darkest points, I was like, why can't there just be, because when I was feeling this intense grief, which I know that we both know comes up and down, even, even years past for me, at least it's been like, it just comes in waves and it's, it's, it's never ending. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Sometimes it feels like I just want a line of women like outside my front door that are there on both sides, wanting to hold my hand and give me hugs and be like, you know, your yeah, your baby passed away. It's not here anymore, but look, we're here to celebrate that baby's life. We're here to celebrate you as a mom. And to be able to have that, that compassion, it's just, it's just missing from this. And it's just, it's just so awful that other women have to go through that alone and to feel like there's something wrong with them inherently. Yeah. And, um, I wonder, you know, I know that your, your timeline from your first miscarriage to your first living child was close, but I wonder if you felt after your first miscarriage, did you have the feeling of I'm a mom and nobody is acknowledging, acknowledging that? Did you feel like a mom after your first miscarriage? Yeah. I think since the moment I found out I was pregnant for the very first time, I felt like a mom. For me, it's always been the moment I found out I'm a mom and people won't be able to know how much love I have for that first child for, and then including all of the others. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And it's something that I know a lot of people feel, but don't feel validated in. I, I feel like it's so it's a unique pain and love to get a positive pregnancy test and have that initial feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm a mom. Like this test is, is what makes me a mom. And it shows me that my child exists. And then to go through loss and people are just like, oh, I'm sorry, better luck next time. Um, but then they'll celebrate when a pregnancy goes full term and equals living child. Um, I do think there's also a stigma where people seem to think that if you have living children, that miscarriages hurt less or like you have babies earth side. So it's not as necessary to support. I see a lot of people struggling with that feeling. Did you ever feel that from your community or the people around you? I've always felt that way. Um, I know both of my boys, they're five and three. They both know that they have other siblings and we've, they have names. Like we try to, they don't necessarily talk about them like as individual people, but they know that, you know, they, like, for instance, my oldest, he knows that he wasn't supposed to be the first one. Yeah. And I think it's unique in the sense that we're trying to teach them that, you know, these are lives, they mattered. And, you know, you have other siblings out there and it's actually something that he struggles with at times. Like he'll look at other families and be like, well, why do they have more children mm -hmm. than we do? Cause he wants more children to play with. He's very sociable. And throughout this whole period of us trying to get pregnant again, 
and not knowing, you know, that has been a grief for me of letting him down, of wanting more people in our family to make up for the ones that maybe haven't been there for us during good times and bad. Um, it's, this is going to be a horrible, maybe <laughs> reference, but, um, I know Kim Kardashian, she, I think she says that she wanted so many children for them to be there for each other, yeah. you know, before anything were to happen to her. And the same goes for me with my children. So I, you know, trying again, it has those fears, like we've talked about, right? Like of possible miscarriage and whatnot. And, you know, that's a fear that I'm scared of right now, because what happened with me since we'd been trying since February of 2022, and we hadn't been getting pregnant. Eventually my OB was like, okay, let's do a laparoscopic surgery. So he did that. He said, everything looked great. We thought wonderful. Well, I got a call three weeks later. He did a DNC during that laparoscopic surgery. And he said, the results came back. You actually have abnormal cells and they're not cancerous yet, but you could possibly get that in the future. If this doesn't take care of, I freaked out. I was yeah. crying know how long off and on. And I would say pretty much through the months of September, when we found out at the end of it until mid-November, I was a huge ball of nerves. It was the worst feeling to think is my body like what is going on inside it? Like, I wish I could have like something to like a daily test or something to figure out what's going on. So essentially what they diagnosed me with was complex atypical hyperplasia, which is one stage below getting endometrial cancer. And pretty much it can happen in women that have PCOS, but essentially it has to do with the fact that your body doesn't produce enough progesterone each month. So it's a hormone imbalance. and your lining in your uterus isn't sloughing off all the way. And then essentially if it stays there too long, um, it can lead to abnormal cell growth. Now, sometimes this happens for women and they don't actually, they might be have hyperplasia, but it's not abnormal cells. So, but essentially following that diagnosis, I was placed on a medication called Megase, which is just a very intense version of progesterone, but it's man-made. So it's just, it's like they put in extra stuff to make it like extra potent. And I was on that for two months before I decided I can't do this anymore. Cause one, it makes you gain weight and it makes you feel like you're PMSing 24 seven. Yeah. So when I got off of that medication, I was, I, I found an OBGYN oncologist. She said, instead of having you on that medication, let's get you off of it. And let's put an IUD in there that has progesterone that's just localized right there in your uterus. And I said, okay, let's do that. We did all that. And she did a biopsy and the biopsy came back clear. There was no abnormal cells. Amazing. But, oh, yeah. No. Okay. There's a, but, <laughs> but the thing is it needed <laughs> to stay in there for a while. And I was like, wait, why can't I just be cleared and try to have another baby? Like, wh like what's <laughs> going on? Like, you're really, you're really doing this to me right now. Like I've gone through all this stuff. I'm but they wanted to have another three months of having the IUDN with the progesterone and then to get another cleared biopsy. So I did that. Don't get me wrong. 
in some ways it was a good break, but in other ways, it just felt like, again, it's all these sports references, references. I'm on the sidelines, ready to play, but my coach isn't letting me in. And I'm like, I'm ready to go. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And it's, it's complex because like, um, it, sometimes whenever we're told we can't try to conceive, it feels like, okay, well, somebody's telling me I can't. So I have to take this break and it can feel nice to be told to take a break because you're not going to take the break, uh, you know, maybe for yourself sometimes, but then other times you're like, I don't want somebody to tell me what to do and how to not grow my family whenever I want to grow my family. And so it's kind of like going back and forth of, Ooh, I really need this break, but don't tell me what to do. (laughs) Exactly. I don't want anyone telling me how, like, like, I can't grow my family right now. Like what? And then like, I'm dealing with, you know, the, my five-year-old saying, why don't we have more children in this family? I'm like, my gosh. And like, you can tell he's sad, but he, he also realizes, you know, like what's going on. Like mommy's having issues with her health. And I think that, that it took a while for me to, it, 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 it humbled me, but also made me feel like, at the end of the day, like I'm human, my body, it's not going to always function hundred percent. And maybe this is a good break for it, but I don't want to do it. Yeah. Oh, I get that. And so where you're at today, would you mind sharing present day? Um, are you at the point where you can be done with the, the three month break? Um, and what, where do you go from here? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it kind of all worked out in the sense of us rescheduling this and whatnot, because this week I had my appointment with my oncologist at MD Anderson and, um, she took my IUD out and did a biopsy and it came back all clear. I don't have any abnormal cells again. So it worked out. Um, and I'm being seen by, um, a fertility specialist because a part of the thing with hyperplasia with complex atypical hyperplasia, um, is that, if you get pregnant, your uterus is considered safe, (laughs) which sounds like kind of crazy. It's like, that is like your body's way of like protecting yourself when you have this. So my fertility specialist is like, okay, let's get you pregnant as quick as we possibly can. Yeah. So a part of it is us trying to do, um, since I just started my period is doing a cycle of IUI. Um, because she, she told me she doesn't want to leave it up to chance and like try a few months to see if we can on our own, because if we do, that's more time that increases the risk of the hyperplasia coming back. Yeah. And it's, it's nice to have a more controlled aspect of another pregnancy, knowing exactly the, you know, the date that it was basically like made into an embryo from an egg and a sperm. And then knowing that you get early ultrasounds, all of those things. Um, Right. So that's a nice part. It definitely is. And one of the things that she diagnosed me with that she thinks is the reason, a possible reason for my um, reoccurrent, non-reoccurrent miscarriages. Um, She diagnosed me with anti-phospholipid syndrome, which has to do with the immune system mistakenly creating antibodies to attack tissues in the body. And it can lead to increased blood clotting. Yeah. And so they're, they have you on blood thinners for the next pregnancy. Yeah. So right now I'm on baby aspirin. And then once I get like a confirmed blood um, pregnancy test, then they'll start me off on another medication. That's an injectable one. 
that is also, I believe a blood thinner. I can't remember the name of it, but, um, it's probably Lovenox. That's exactly what it is. So have you actually heard of this syndrome? Oh yeah. Um, so in, in my line of work, a lot of people have APS. Um, it's, uh, I think that they kind of paint it as it's not very common and I wish they would test for it. Like I was saying, right? like, like why, whenever we go to our doctor and we're like, Hey, we're, we want to get pregnant. Is there anything we could do to better our chances? Cause I know I went to my doctor saying that, um, I wish they would have been like, let's just run a blood test and make sure that everything is going okay. And, and, and that is usually like one of the more leading causes of recurrent pregnancy loss. And it's interesting because the pattern in your pregnancies, I see it either people have two or three losses before living child, um, with APS, or they have a pattern like that. And that to me is so crazy. I don't get it. I can't make sense of it, but I see that pattern often with APS. That's so insane because that was what I was advocating for the whole time with all of my different OBGs. I was saying there has to be something behind this. Like there has to be, and like, I don't know what it is. So, you know, I think most people, if they would have gotten this diagnosis before having any living children, maybe they would possibly be freaking out. But for me, it was more of like this saving grace, like, oh my gosh, okay. It's not me going crazy in my head thinking that like, there's actually a name for it. Yeah. And did they mention anything? Uh, This is something I'm currently diving into research on because I had not heard of it. Um, But sometimes with blood clotting disorders, there is this, I, th- I don't know if it's a theory because it's not a diagnosis where um, people will have a miscarriage of a specific gender. And so it's thought to believe that like some people's antibodies will uh, basically attack a pregnancy that would be a girl and then they have living boys. And so I wonder, I don't know if your doctor even mentioned that or if that's oh, up in your mind at all. Um, I haven't found a ton of research on it, but there is, there are, I've seen some doctors talk about it or I've had some clients who uh, their doctor had that theory. And so I found that to be really interesting because I'm somebody who my living children are both boys. And so I've always wondered, I'm like, is it something with my body and girls? Because I had a strong feeling that my first pregnancy, which ended in a miscarriage was a girl. And so now I've always wondered were both of my miscarriages girls and both of my living children boys. Um, So I didn't, I didn't know if that had been brought up or even come to your mind. It's definitely come to my mind in the sense of, well, I just can't carry girls. That mm-hmm. is literally coming to my head for sure. And I have this very strong feeling at least that with my last pregnancy, my most recent miscarriage, that that was a girl. I strongly believe that. I really do. So, you know, I'm not sure, um, but I would love to know more about that research actually. It, it's not, it's not a ton of great stuff. It, the sad thing about reproductive health is we don't have a ton of research. Uh, we have like one or two things where it's like a doctor had a theory and tried to prove the theory and it didn't get a ton of funding. Um, but, uh, I, I found a couple of, um, things on PubMed about it. It's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting thought. Um, yeah, but I know I've definitely thought about that, but that's, that's so amazing that you have an answer, even though, around here, answers are sad, but they're also happy because you don't want to have a diagnosis, but, um, it is nice to have some hope going into your next pregnancy. It's nice to have an answer rather than just a question of, okay, so what's causing this? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, 
in terms of like super under-researched, for me, it was the complex atypical hyperplasia. That was like ridiculous in terms of like whenever I was trying to find out research. So it came to a point where I couldn't find much. And I actually had to join a Facebook group of women mm-hmm. that were literally like warriors. And they did all of this research Amazing. out there like all of this. And like, they were the ones that told me what I needed to have done to try to get it. Because essentially my first OB was like, he, you could tell that he didn't have the confidence in him at that time. And wouldn't it be nice for them to be like, Hey, I'm not an expert in this. Let's see if we can find a doctor that can work with us. That maybe knows more than I do instead of just being like, well, we could just throw this and, and see if it works. Uh, I wish that doctors would admit when they're not experts at certain things. Exactly. And I think another thing that would have been helpful on top of him, you know, realizing his humanity yeah. was the fact that if he could have just said to me, trying to sound a little bit more positive because he essentially told me an example of a patient that he had that was actually had hyperplasia and actually had suddenly become cancerous. And he tried doing the whole medication regimen with her and it ended up just getting worse. And she got a hysterectomy. So at that point, you know, when, when I was in the trenches with all of this, I was like, okay, that's not helpful. (laughs) Yeah. That's not helpful. I need a different doctor. Yeah. Um, And I was like, I'm going to go see an oncologist at this point because this is not helpful at all because you're just freaking me out more. And I'm afraid you're just going to take my uterus out at this point. If this doesn't work. And what a sad feeling to be fearful for your medical care. You know, I I think it was so smart for you to reach out to an oncologist and it sucks that your doctor wasn't like, here, let me refer to you to an OB oncologist that specializes in oncology (laughs) because I deliver babies and I do pap smears and have all of this other knowledge, but this is not in my realm of expertise. Um, Instead telling you a story of a woman losing her uterus over the same thing that you're being diagnosed with. That doesn't. Yeah. That's like telling somebody who's had a miscarriage. Oh, well, I know somebody who's had a miscarriage and she never had kids. Like, right. Or that she even died. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that that's terrible. It was, yeah. So the past six months have been rather insane in my life. Um, but being the, what led me actually, I had never heard your podcast before, but I started reading the miscarriage map. Okay. Yeah. I found one of the resources was the podcast. I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah. I, um, I think I have the audio book. And so maybe that's why I didn't know that. Cause I know I have the audio book. Amazing. Yeah. So I started and I was like, wow, this is so amazing that this exists because, you know, you know, I feel like people are so powerful in general and that, you know, we can be able to talk about the hard stuff, just like the easy stuff. And the more we do it, the more easier it gets, not just for the person suffering, but then the people that need to be there for them. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. I feel like that's why I talk so loudly about it. And I have, um, since my, my, um, I started my journey with an infertility diagnosis. And so 
I started a personal blog where I was like, I'm going to talk about how crappy this feels to not be able to get pregnant. And then I had a miscarriage. And so I was just like, screw this. I am talking about this as much as I want to. And I just kind of, I went the route of oversharing and it was very helpful, but it's kind of like the comments that people say, we had that all the time where people were like, oh, well, better luck next time. Or when are you guys going to get pregnant again? When do you, you know, when do you think that, um, you'll have a child. And it's like the way people would word things. And I wanted to go and say, well, I have children. They've just died. <laughs> and people didn't like the way that that sounded. They don't. Um, so they I, I like, I like to be really brutally honest. And that's kind of why I'm here because I, I want people to know the truth and I want them to feel validated in the hard stuff. Yeah. I totally agree with you. It's always really hard when somebody asks the question, Oh, how many children do you have? And it's like, well, I want to say five. I want to say yeah. I have two living children and I have three angels. Yeah. I still struggle answering that question, it's even though very, I'm a miscarriage stool. <laughs> it makes me feel very uncomfortable answering it. It really does. Even saying it aloud, it feels hard to do because I know that it's not the norm. But here, like whenever people say just that, like I have five children, two living children, three angels, to me, that, that sounds like I would love for people to share that with me. And to me, that doesn't sound abnormal. It doesn't sound uncomfortable. It doesn't make me uncomfortable, but I know that if I were to say that it would feel uncomfortable. So it's like me hearing that it, it feels like a privilege that somebody would tell me about their family and even the children I can't see. Um, but if I were to say it, I'm like, oh my gosh, somebody's going to think I'm such a weirdo for mentioning the two babies I lost. And then they follow up with, you know, whenever you share, you've had a miscarriage, you're like, oh, well, how far along were you? And I just want to say like, why, what would that matter to you to know? Like, how yeah. does that benefit you to know how far along I was? Does that validate my loss in your eyes? And that was always a follow-up question that I got was how far along were you? And it's just so weird these personal questions that people ask, like, just accept that I'm sharing my grief and my trauma with you and be there to support me or don't, don't ask me really inappropriate questions. Right. I, I completely agree that it does feel so nice when other women say that it feels like, wow, there's someone else out there that is like, they have come to be able to be confident enough to say it with like, with this with, with power, like they're taking back, like the language that they need in order to express, like, this is my family. This is how things have been. It's not been perfect in any way, but this is the truth. Yeah, I agree. I know that so many people listening will feel really validated in hearing you share what your family looks like, um, including the babies that you've lost, but also having such an open conversation about your entire fertility journey. So I really appreciate that you are here. I'm glad. I think we were talking about it before we started recording, but we had scheduling errors on, uh, on my side that turned into like not fitting your schedule. And so I'm so glad that it worked out and that we were able to find the time to chat today. Oh, it was, it was both sides. Don't even, <laughs> it's just you, <laughs> but we I will take like 70%, but yes, uh, it it's okay. It's 50, 50. <laughs> But uh, Samantha, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I always tell people that whenever they share their story where they're in the thick of it and they're not at the end of their family building, um, to come back and share an update, whether it is happy, which I hope it's only happy news, but no matter the news, we we would love to hear from you um, at any point. So please feel free to come back and, and share an update. 
Thank you so much, Arden. You've been such a pleasure. Thank you for your kind words and you being able to have this platform for, for this community. Thank you.